we're in a very shaky place for risk overall. I think that the time to be aggressive is when everybody's talking about a recession. I think that any buy below 25K on BTC, you're going to look like a genius in a year. Yeah. So it's just a matter of making sure that you have a good entry point. Well, there you have it. Don't fight the flows. Don't, you just, you just, you just don't, don't fight the flow. Welcome back to another episode of 1000X. It has been a extremely eventful two weeks. Joan and I are back in our homes, uh, you know, and we've been we've been watching this unfold over the last over the last seventy two hours. And I'll say that it's going to be a very interesting period for the markets, crypto, risk, oil, just across the board. It's time to it's time to pay attention. In my yeah. opinion. Agreed. There's going to be a lot of opportunity out there over the coming over the coming weeks, but there's also going to be a lot of danger. And so, you know, I think as the, the biggest, uh, obviously, the biggest news story of the week is this conflict that's come up in Israel. You see defense stocks up. Lockheed was up about eleven percent at the peak today. Palantir was up, and you're seeing oil go up as well, uh, which. I thought about for a bit and I went back and forth as to whether oil would go up or not just purely because the people fighting have nothing to do. I mean, there's no oil in Israel. There's no oil in Gaza. Um, so, you know, there is a, a, a little bit of should it, should it, should it go up? Um, but Jonah, you know, I, I'd be curious. I think you, you, you come from a world where geopolitics is extremely important. And so you probably got a good knack for understanding how these things might impact the markets. So I'm curious what your, you know, what what your gut take is after digesting the news. Yeah, sure. Um, let's start with oil. So, oil is up because whenever there is conflict in the Middle East, it's a knee jerk reaction for oil to rally. But if you mm -hmm. delve a little deeper, um, the leadership of Hamas has openly thanked Iran for helping them plan this attack. The Wall Street Journal has reported something to that effect. Um, you know, I, I obviously have no idea what Iran's involvement in this particular conflict is, but the market perceives Iran uh, to be sort of a, an involved participant. Now, Iran is a huge oil producer, um, and they are currently sanctioned by the United States, um, which makes it difficult for them to sell their oil on the open market. Uh, there have been years of attempts at diplomacy between the Biden administration, and even when Biden was VP during the Obama administration, uh, to lift those sanctions and allow Iran to export freely again. And those talks have been progressing recently. So this conflict would be a setback to that diplomacy, which, uh, you know, obviously, if, if Iran can export, that means lower oil prices. If they can't export, that means higher oil prices. So a setback to diplomacy, which would lead to higher Iranian exports means higher prices a bit of a, a bit tough to follow but not that crazy um the you know the sort of inside baseball here is that iran is quietly exporting all of their oil anyway or close to it so even if the sanctions were to be lifted it wouldn't actually uh result in in much of a, a difference in global exports but so, it, it, it has to be at lower prices much lower prices than what they would get otherwise Oh yeah, I mean, right, but right. but what the the price that you see on the screen is that's that's just like sort of an amalgamation of all different oil prices in the world. I mean, like you're, you're looking at Brent or TI, and those benchmarks 
those benchmarks factor in global supply and demand, right? It's not, it, you're not looking at the price of Iranian crude when you look at crude. So that's crude, right? That's why you got a knee-jerk rally, um, even though the, the balance mm-hmm. of supply and demand doesn't really change that much one way or another. It's just a setback. Another thing is wars consume a lot of petroleum, um, but Israel is a small country and this, this war probably wouldn't consume that much petroleum. Meanwhile, you know, if you had like China mobilizing against India, that would probably be a bigger deal. But that's that's not happening, we hope. That's a good overview of the situation. And one thing that stands out to me is that despite uh, crypto decorrelating from risk a ton over the last month, uh, which is normally a bullish a bullish signal. So, I mean, if you if you look at it over the last 30 days, you know, the S&P is traded down and Bitcoin's actually traded up over that time period. I think, unfortunately, a part of that is definitely sailor buying. Uh, and I think that what you're what you what you're going to get if how much did he or, buy? Five hundred million was it? BTC sailor. Yeah, but it's 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 one of those it's one of those things that if you look at it just zoomed out, we're in a very shaky place for risk overall because I think that. Flows still look flows still look bad. You have this conflict that's escalating, and higher oil is very bad for for risk for risk prices, uh, especially right because now because inflation, because yeah. inflation, and rates are rates are already booming. I mean, bond market is selling off massively uh, over over the last over so the last price month. of bonds down, yields up. Yes, yeah, price of bonds down, yields up. And I think that has long-lasting impacts that take a while to show up in the in, in the real in the real economy. And so what what you get is you have this you have this perfect storm. And I think one other issue was that the market was pricing in a soft landing pretty aggressively, and we're slowly starting to go the other way. I think that the time to be aggressive is when everybody's talking about a recession. When everybody and their mother is looking around and they're going, Yep, there's no way that we have a soft landing on the horizon, we're going into a recession. I think that's when it's going to be a good time to start start scaling in. And so all of that being said, I don't think that Bitcoin has enough idiosyncratic juice to avoid a drawdown if the broader risk markets go down, which is why I'm positioned very cautiously right now. I think puts are, are a good idea um, you know, to both two week and, and, and four and four week puts, I think vol is pretty low. Uh, ETH obviously in more trouble than BTC, but also more shorter than BTC. Um, so you, know, you have to, you have to, you have to weigh that, weigh that a little bit, just looking at, looking at open interest, There's a lot, lot, lot more shorts open on ETH than, than there yeah, are. Yeah. ETH is, ETH is, ETH is going south fast. I mean, you, you know, I'm sure you, you know more than I do at this point, Avi, but I just look at NFT floor prices, like, Crypto punks, you know, down twenty percent the floor uh, mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks. Um, gas gas prices on ETH, we're looking at nine guay, um, you know, neutral for the flip between inflationary and deflationary. ETH is what fifteen, sixteen guay, and we're we're trading, you know. Gas prices are are well below that level, so there's just not a lot of activity. Yeah, there's also the, there's also the FTX guy that's just. Has a hundred, had one hundred eighty thousand ETH. He's out. Of, he's out, as of current recording. He's out of about 
Let me see half of it. Well, there you have and it. Don't fight got, the flows. Don't you just you just, you just don't, don't fight the flows. So I mean, if you're going to buy anything, you might as well just buy Bitcoin at this point. There's some alts that are doing well, like Link, like DYDX, but overall, I mean, this is this is a this this is a bad market to be to, to be to be long in. Uh, you know, I I'm waiting personally. I'm waiting for the flush. I think that any buy below 25k on BTC, you're going to look like a genius in a year. So it's just a matter of making sure that you have a good entry point. Because I mean, if you buy like right right, if you're like buying 27.5, when you draw down 10%, then you start to feel a little bit skittish. Maybe you trade 24. And then you start to you start to get real worried, and then psychologically you're you know you're you're hurt. I think that you basically just focus on getting on getting good entries, so you're not psychologically tormented if we go down to twenty two, yeah. and then just and then just wait. I mean, realistically, like if you think about it long term, this is actually quite good for. I think conflict in the world, well, terrible is good for Bitcoin. It's very good in any, global disorder any... is good for Bitcoin because it is a an impartial reserve asset that anyone can stash when the U.S. starts going sanction crazy. And the other thing you mentioned interest rates, Avi. Um, when when we're sitting here in a year's time and interest rates are still explosive and mortgages are still expensive, at some point home prices are going to start to tank. And then the United States government in an election year is going to face a very difficult choice. It's like, do you know, the choice is, do we let American homeowners, do we let the middle class take the medicine that should have been taken in 2008 and again in 2020 and just tank the whole thing and cost ourselves the election? Or do we pump more stimulus in and uh, print more money and bring yields down and do all of these things that governments do, you know, free beer for everybody, do, do the things that governments do to get reelected, right? I have a feeling it's going to be the latter. In fact, I'd put my money on it. And at that point, maybe you're looking at $100,000 BTC or higher because that, that, is, that is what BTC is purpose built to hedge the investor against. That's the long term. The short term, it's like, who cares about Bitcoin when there's a geopolitical conflict? The only thing that's been holding stocks up is AI mania, NVIDIA, whatever. Like we, you know, things could tank pretty hard in the short term. Tread, tread carefully, tread lightly and, and stay nimble. I agree with you, Avi. You picked such an interesting time to get back into that game. It's, uh, it's always an interesting time to get into oil or into crypto. There's always something going on. Like, let's say that you started in, in oil with a, a clean slate right now. It could be like, well, you know, it, it's a, it's in a precarious position. It could go up a lot or down a lot. Like if, if there's a recession, oil could tank 30%. If there's a massive geopolitical conflict in the Middle East, oil could rally 50%, right? So you sort of have to tread lightly. Otherwise, you get steamrolled in your new role. Equally in crypto, um, <clears throat> we both think this thing is going to 10x over, you know, on a you know three to five year timeline. Um but you might not be able to hang on to the mechanical bull, right? You might get thrown off. So I think all markets are in very sort of tenuous position. And that's because of the 10 years where they weren't in a tenuous position, which is like mm -hmm. 2010 to 2020, when Janet Yellen kept her foot on the gas for like five years longer than she should have, right? So there was a long period of time where markets were just super boring. And then that's set up for a time basically driven by interest rates and geopolitical conflict where all markets, including crypto, 
and crude oil and natural gas and equities and everything else are going to be super volatile and treacherous, but also, you know, really rewarding for people that, that play it right. Yeah, that 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 honestly, like that specific set of circumstances <laughs> does make me think that the probability that we end up going sideways in Bitcoin or crypto for a substantial period of time is higher than people expect. Hmm. Like, I think one thing that people forget is there doesn't there doesn't have to be a cycle. There doesn't have to be another bull run in 2024 or 2025, just because that's how it's worked in the, in the past. I think it's, it, you know, in the back of everybody's mind, that's almost taken for granted, but there were very specific circumstances that led to that, that may or may not happen again. I think, you know, long-term, my view of the world is obviously Bitcoin has a much greater place, but that could be in 2026 or 2027, which is why I'm spending a lot of time in on the other areas, right, of digital assets of crypto. It's like, okay, well, I actually had the benefit of playing around with Stars Arena, which was the platform that got hacked and kind of uh, that, that was built that was built on AVAX. And I tweeted about this and I, I said, just to be clear, I said I would not put real money on this platform. But the reality is the product itself was pretty good. It's a competitor to Frentech and I used it and it was, you know, it had a, it had a feed, it had a better messaging system. Like the product was more fun to use than Frentech. And so we're, we actually are seeing iterations now that are making consumer products for crypto better. And we are seeing usage. And, uh, you know, if, if it hadn't gotten hacked, I think that it would, uh, it would be doing quite well, quite well today, just by virtue of it being, it being a good product. Um, you know, not advocating anybody put money on it, obviously, is it been, it's, it's been hacked twice, but it's one of those things that makes you realize, hey, okay, maybe there are actually some good applications slowly coming out. And so investing in the tech, investing in the infra, it's like, okay, this stuff, this stuff can actually decorrelate over a long enough time period. You, could, you, you might find that Bitcoin could be down 15, 20% over the course of a year. And there, could, there are going to be things that are up 100%. Yeah, you just have to be one of the few people left paying attention. I mean, it, if it didn't get hacked, that's a big if, right? Like, uh, if it had a good user experience, if it didn't get hacked, if there was no fraudulent SBF type character um, mm -hmm. roles involved in, 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 you know, all of these ifs, you, you kind of, crypto just, it's a little bit too plagued with problems at the moment. And I feel like to have its next big summer, you need to have like, five to 10 amazing new products and use cases come out that are secure, user-friendly, and run by competent operators. And I feel like we're due for that. Um, I'm yeah, just the, the, the competent operators it. being key. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, yeah. I mean, anybody can spin up a project at the, at the valuation space of 2021 and uh, run it into the ground. I, I feel like you, you need lower prices to foster you know, good stewardship of a project. Um, it does, it does, it does make me sad just because it, it was, it was a pretty solid, like it, it was a, it was, it was a pretty solid product that, that yeah. got hacked. I was like, okay, this, this thing's good. So FTX got hacked as well. What, what happened there? Some, some guys stole how many ETH? And then do you mind talking about, I wanted to ask you as well, Avi. So there's the FTX hacker and then there's the FTX um, administrator, custodian, whatever you call it, Galaxy. So what mm -hmm. are these two entities doing and how much are they selling each week? That's a really, it's a, it's a really good question. And the answer is, uh, it's going to take a very long time to actually come up with the plan. 
So they're in the process right now of actually figuring out what assets to sell, how to sell them over what time period to sell them. And this plan has to be approved. And so this, this, this selling is going to take a while to actually occur. Uh, it's obviously going to be an overhang on the, on the market, but it's really mostly going to be an overhang for Solana uh, as rel relative, relative to everything else, because the actual supply that they have at BTC and Ether are much, much lower in terms of circulating cap than Solana. Yeah, Solana is. looks rich at $22. So, I agree with you. It does. I, it's one of those things I really like over a, oh, wow, look, we're, we get, we're getting a nice little sell-off here on, uh, on, on BTC. I'm personally, I think ETH puts are a great idea. I think they just, I think they just make sense right now. Um, I, 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 would, I would I finance them that, by selling calls. I, I would just buy bear risk reversals, <clears throat> buy put, sell call. I don't see ETH exploding higher in the next couple of weeks. There's too much selling. No, there's too much. Puts. There's the, the issue, the issue right now with the market is that there's no real reason for people to step in and buy. And what I mean by that is you have, you had the grayscale lawsuit resolve itself. And so the only positive catalyst to the upside is the ETF at this point. And so the way that I always think about these types of things are you have, you have your um, momentum buyers who are currently momentum sellers, and then you have your value buyers. And when I look at Bitcoin, I don't see value until 25K or lower. And so there's really nobody that's going to, in my opinion, there's nobody that's going to step in aggressively until, until those levels. And on ETH, it's, it's, much, it's much lower. I think one of the issues with ETH has actually been, you know, con conversely, the uh, prevalence of L2s and the amount of activity that L2s have relative to, relative to the base layer. Because the argument was always, well, if you increase throughput by 100x, which has happened, then you should increase transactions by 100x. But that hasn't happened. It's not even close to happen. What you've just done is you've just moved all the transactions from ETH to Arbitrum and you've barely increased the overall amount of transactions that are occurring. And so from my perspective, what you get is there's going to be a big lag period over the next year where ETH just looks like shit on a fee basis. And everyone was kind of expecting it to look good on a, on a deflationary basis. Um, but that's just not not going to be the case as, as long as activity is, you know, mostly on base or mostly on arbitrum or mostly on optimism. So I'm actually quite, I'm quite negative on ETH um, for the, for the time being, uh, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll have, it'll have its time again, but I think for, for, for right, for right now, I'm quite bearish on the ETH PTC ratio. See, I, I used to be bullish on ETH because all these scaling solutions were being built. Like I, you know, just being a California mm -hmm. guy growing up in the state of California, um, they're always adding lanes to the freeways and it never seems to ease the traffic, right? Like every time they add a new lane, it just brings more cars onto the freeway. So uh, basically, <laughs> you know, after a while you start to wonder like, what's the point of doing this? You just, you, you don't mm -hmm. ease the, the bottleneck. And I thought the same thing would happen to ETH. I thought it would be like, okay, you have this, you have this blockchain whose block space is constantly in like, there's an excess of demand relative to supply. Gas prices are insane. You have to spend $200 to buy an NFT that's worth $20. Like how the fuck, you know? So I, I just assumed that scaling solutions would um, 
would ultimately bring more flow to ETH and make the product more scalable and make it this global world computer faster. And it would be like the California freeway. Instead, it's actually looking more like the way that uh, pipelines work in the Permian Basin in Texas, where sometimes there's just too much oil, not enough pipelines, can't, you know, everything's bottlenecked. So then there's this frenzy of pipeline building, which is effectively a scaling solution for an oil field. And then, uh, then suddenly there's just way too much pipeline capacity and not enough oil, and then by, and then it goes back and forth. So I think, I think ETH, you know, yet another analogy between ETH and oil. <clears throat> I think it looks more like uh, scaling solutions were overbuilt during a particular time in ETH's history when there was a lot of mm-hmm. demand for it, and now there's not a lot of demand for ETH because no one cares right now, and way too much capacity, and so gas prices are just forced into the toilet. And I agree with you. I think the pendulum will swing back the other way hard one day when it's like, holy shit, we have this thing that's cheaper and better than AWS for our use case and probably more permanent. But like, um, you know, that might be a year year off or six months off or two years off. Who knows? There's no OPEC for ETH. It's an issue. Um, so there's a foundation and they're selling, yeah. right? They're, yeah, they're, 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 they're selling right now. They're, they're increasing supply at the worst possible time. Even though they sell very small size, they've been remarkably consistent at selling tops, local tops. And I think it's very funny because I think uh, it's like they, I think they sold two and a half million this time, which is, I mean, dude, that's nothing. But everybody's talking about it. And everybody's like, oh my God, what do they know this time? It's self-reinforcing is the thing, right? So they do it, they do it right once. Uh, and then people are like, Oh my God, they must know something. And then they do. And then, you know, people, people, uh, you know, pe- people start to, uh, people start to panic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, look, if your entire net worth is in ETH right now, you should be panicking. But, um, if you, if ETH is part of a diversified portfolio, uh, as we've recommended, you know, maybe you shouldn't be panicking. Maybe it's more like, uh, Oh, cool. No. This thing. I, I mean, I, I I would definitely reduce ETH exposure. I think I think the right the right level for ETH BTC to become a gigabull is uh, 0.5. Well, if you're like me and you own NFTs, um, your ETH exposure reduces naturally for you on sell-offs. It's like a gamma position, right? When during these periods of time where ETH goes down, the mm-hmm. value of your NFTs denominated in ETH also goes down. So, so I have less. ETH than I, I did when ETH was high. It's amazing how it self-corrects like that, Jenna. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's good. At this point, I think but, I think you're right. I think, so also there was that futures ETF that launched for ETH. And mm-hmm. while in and of itself, I don't think it's that relevant because no one cares about a futures ETF anymore. People just want spot. They it's don't want ju- it's just such a yield. bad product. It, yeah, it's it like the product itself is like you could only imagine a world of people buying tons of it at a Pico top where it's just like, Oh, oh my yeah. God, get me ETH exposure somehow. Anyhow, I don't even want to I read mean, the prospectus. Like the big, obviously in a bear market, something with Contango roll yield isn't going to, isn't going to attract anybody. So I, I'm not like reading into the poor ETF launch as like, Oh wow. Look at how doomed crypto is. I'm more looking at it as like you launch a crappy product in a down market and no one cares. Yeah. I think um, one one issue is that Beto was live, so everybody could see just how shitty that, like how terrible that product is. Yeah, and the fact that although one one thing that one thing that's funny is um, 
you tend to uh, you, people actually overestimate how bad it is because if you look at the returns, it's underperforming Bitcoin by something like thirty percent just from a pure like price basis. But they have dividends and cash distributions, and that actually compensates for a lot of it. So I think it's actually only underperforming by ten percent, but that's still <laughs> bad. That's still very bad. Yeah. O- only underperforming by ten percent. So you know, you know what doesn't underperform by ten percent is stable coins. Um, Avi, what do you think about the world of stables right now, and specifically the the leakage in USDC? There's a concept that good money drives out, or bad money drives out good money, and I think that's what's happening right now. Is you have a lot of people, people in China, people in Russia that want dollars, and they want to have you know, real dollar, maybe they want to buy real estate in the US or they want to go buy other goods in in the US because they want to protect their protect their portfolio. They don't want too much exposure to the ruble or to the to the yuan. And a lot of people are using Tether to get out of this, in my opinion, and based on the flows that we're seeing and the people that we're talking to, this actually seems like a very common occurrence. People are just buying buying Tether to get out of the get get out of their base currency. And so if you actually look uh, a lot of tether gro- like tether growth is almost one to one coincided with USDC decline, and I think what's what's happening is that people are because you can source tether if in China and Hong Kong and in these places you buy the tether you create the tether then you take the tether you go to Binance you go to OKX or you go to Huobi you go sell it into USDC then you send the USDC to somebody else who has an account with Coinbase, they redeem it. And then you get, you buy something in, in the US, whether it's real estate or something else, and then you transfer over the deed. Huh. Right? And so that dynamic, I think, is actually uh, occurring not infrequently right now. So just for the listeners. And that's, and that's, and that's leading to the, the contraction of the USDC supply. Because if you think about it, USDC is a better product. It's just that, that and, and the, the irony of the situation is, it's dying because it's such a good product. I, I don't know if I have the same opinion. I mean, I think that USDC is a better product from a mint redeem perspective. It's like technically a better product, but its its target demographic is the developed world where crypto is not a solution. Like US, like crypto is a solution right now for emerging markets, for underbanked markets, for people without access to stable currencies or JP Morgan checking accounts, right? That's where Bitcoin and stable coins are really useful. Um, so ultimately, if USDC serves the, the you know, uh, provides a much more optimal technical solution, but serves the developed markets where that solution is not needed, it's gonna lose market share to, you know, the technically inferior uh, asset that serves the market that actually demands it. So since the beginning of the year, since, since Jan 23, the market cap of Tether has exploded from $65 billion to $85 billion and has been very stable at $85 billion since the summer. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, USDC Circle has collapsed from $40 billion to $25 billion, so a $15 billion decline. And Ultimately, I think that what this is telling you is that there is a use case for crypto right now, a very important one, and it's preserving dollarized value in the form of Tether. Um, and 
whatever sort of developed market. Like, so I, I think it's emerging markets that are still using crypto for their sort of purpose-built use case. And maybe developed markets are giving up on crypto a little bit. And then there's probably some cycling, uh, a lot of cycling uh, in you know, sort of what you just described, Avi. Probably a lot of that is going on as well. I think so. I mean, I, I think that it's just, it's, at the end of the day, it's demand for dollars and USDC is the best form of dollar right now. I also think, by the way, that's why you're USDT seeing a bunch of... USDT is the best U form of dollar? USDC. USDC, but the market cap of USDC has collapsed. Because people know that it's backed by dollars. Oh, right. I see. So they're right. redeeming it into... Yeah, okay. Right. So it, it, it's if, if, you want, if you want dollars, your best bet is to buy USDC and redeem it for dollars. So from that perspective, it's a best, it's a best product. It's a best, it's a best way to access USDT, US, USD. But why, why not Tether? Like, why, why can't you just redeem Tether and get your dollars back? I guess it's because, so, it, yeah, the mint redeem mechanism for Tether is a little bit more complicated. It's, it's, it's much and, harder. Yeah. You have to work with specified counterparties. Yeah. Um, I also think that there's, you know, potentially some words like, okay, well, do, do, I, do I want to go through the process of redeeming, redeeming with USD? DT have and then have wires to the US from USDT bank accounts, hmm. mm, you probably don't want that actually. Probably not. Easier to just use right? the Coinbase USDC channel. Exactly. It's much, much easier to use a Coinbase USD, USDC channel. There's a drain in fiat in the general, in the general ecosystem right now. Um, and that's actually one thing that, by the way, I think is, is pretty useful for figuring out what your risk tolerance should be in the markets. Like one just one anecdote is that we use uh, the stable coins deployed mm. in the market. Um, so for example, just like take all the, I take the top wallets that are active, that are active traders and just calculate what their average stable coin balances over the last year. And then when it goes up really high, that's actually a good buy signal. When it goes up, when it goes down pretty low, that's a, it's a good sell signal because there's just not that much fiat left in the system to either buy, to buy, to buy or sell. Um, but in, in aggregate, there's just been a, there, there's been, there's been a drain. That's not, that's not, that's not good. Um, which is why, again, I'm advocating for just pay. I'm advocating for patience. I'm advocating the bear view. I don't expect ETH to test the FTX lows. Like, I don't think it's going to get that bad on apathy. I think that's a forced selling flush liquidation type mm -hmm. price set. So I don't know. I don't know how many of you listeners out there have researched the Kelly criterion, but, um, it's worth pulling up on Wikipedia and maybe doing a little spreadsheet <clears throat> and just typing in your own probabilities of where you think different, like where like different price points and, and the probability of uh, ETH reaching them. It's amazing how, let's say that your band for ETH is sort of like, like, you know, let's call it two standard deviations within the next year is sort of like a thousand dollar ETH to $2,000 ETH. It's amazing how quickly the risk mm -hmm. reward of being short gets like, it goes from amazing to terrible as ETH goes from like 1600 to 1400. How quickly, mm -hmm. how quickly your, your risk reward shifts and how, 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 how scared you should be being short at 1400 uh, becomes as uh, you know, as you approach sort of the bottom of your distribution. And personally, I don't think ETH is going to go much, much below 1200. I think that would be like an absolutely dire liquidation flush, like everyone just gives up on it type level. Um, it, it would be lower, but I think already, 
half the space through in the towel during FTX. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think the level is higher now. Ultimately, um, like Avi said, uh, tread lightly here. And I think it's more of a more of a thing for investors to add on dips rather than traders trying to dance between the raindrops and capture $100 a token selling now and buying later. You framed it well. Um, at 1400 I think you basically have a floor at 1100 and so the the risk reward there just becomes very very skewed which is why I think that you you're probably going to get a lot of chop between this 1650 area and this you know 1500 area just because that is the area where risk reward is the most balanced if you're looking for if you're looking for a move to if you're looking for a move to 2k or you're looking for a move to, to 1100 that's just the most balanced area for you and so i think that's where that's where the real battle is going to take place and if we break down into the lower lower portion of that that's a that's a that's a buying opportunity which is just kind of what i've been saying right it's you just you're just looking for good areas to add length so that you look like a genius in a year this is you're you're absolutely right and you have to have that year time frame um also if you read crypto twitter frequently enough as you know probably most of the people who listen to this podcast do you see people just like throwing in the towel like giving up on eth like this is it i've been long eth since a hundred dollars and it's over now like this is a useless piece of shit asset like you read tweets where people who have been eating bullish for five years are just like it's over never buying this crap again like i'm selling all my eth and so if you're, you know, if you're just and if, if investing or trading isn't your profession, but you hold some ETH in your personal account and you care about your net worth, like you, you look at your ETH and you and you look at these tweets and you're probably saying to yourself like, crap, I'm, I'm going to get out. Remind yourself, if that's what you're thinking, that in 12 or 18 or 24 months when this thing is gassing higher and it's trading $5,000 a token, um, those very same people will be talking about how ETH is the future, how it's going to $50,000 a token, how they've been long all the way up, right? So you kind of have to filter out the noise and remember that- Dude, I, it I love it. I love it when you go gigable. It's like, like a- this. It's, <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, prob it's a probability distribution. It's a gradient of outcomes. It's not black and white. ETH is not over. ETH is not the future. It's, it's like this constantly evolving uh, shade of gray. Although I, I I will I will say just one one thing is that I am I am worried about L ones in general and what happens when block space becomes very cheap. I guess you know it it, it remains to be seen, but you're we're really going to need to increase the amount of transactions that go through these networks. And so what you might find is you might you might just we might just be going through a dead period for L ones, which is why I'm so focused on applications right now, because in order for L1s to do well over the next couple of years, you really need applications to do very well over the next couple of years, because L1s have become so much more efficient over the last 18 months, right? With all the launches of the L2s and you, you've got, you've got ZK, ZK coming out soon. So I think that it's just, it's just going to be all, all about the, all about the apps. And I think we've, we've sort of beaten that, beaten that horse. I don't want to get too deep into it one game could bowl over yeah. like it, it, it could true. only take one application to generate more transaction volume than the network has ever seen in its entire history right mm -hmm. I, I don't know maybe a game or a back office 
payments application, visa, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? What, what type of application would you want? Why are you looking for? I, yeah, I, I think, I think it's, I think gaming is the most likely then you have the so- social, social finance as well. Um, but realistically, I think that one thing that could really take off is if you got tokenized, uh, tokenized stock trading, bond trading on chain. I mean, I know Goldman's trying to come out with their money market fund in, uh, in Q1 of next year, and that's going to be big. And we'll see if it's composable with the rest of rest. Of, I doubt it, but we'll see if it's composable with the rest of the world. But the more products that launch like that, I think the better off, uh, you know, the, the, the better off we, we get in, in crypto. And that, that's something that I could really see uh, taken off massively. Look at Canto. So they're doing a lot in the RWA space right now. And if they, like one of the things that they're teasing is they're teasing a launch of a, a treasury product. And for example, like what if they allow you to like lever up treasuries? That would be that 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 would be a good use case for crypto. Yeah. So we'll, you know we'll, we'll we'll see. If you're in crypto, it should be for the big wins. It's not to like dance between the raindrops and chip around. I, I mean, honestly, like I I know there are a lot of market neutral funds out there, and I'm sure some of them are really successful and run by brilliant people with great investors and everything. But like I think that whole sector has been torched over the course of the last year and a half because they've taken so much risk. A lot of them lost assets on FTX, which was ironically the best place to get short crypto. Uh, So there was probably a lot of people using FTX perps to sell this or that altcoin. And, you know, people probably lost a lot of money on that. And then and then uh, and then now we're still in a bear market. Let's say that you want to be short uh, my favorite um, dead horse to beat: short polka dot versus long ETH. Like, where are you going to get short polka dot finance? Mm-hmm. Like, is there any efficient way to do that? So, like the the market neutral strategies involve a leg where you get short something that there's no efficient way to get short. So, <laughs> like it it doesn't work, right? You have to be in this for the the asymmetric upside, and you have to find ways to survive during times like like these. So you need. Yep. You need investors that are that are in it for the long haul. You need investors who want exposure to crypto. You can't mm-hmm. just like sell sell a market neutral strategy to an investor base that's like uninterested in crypto. You have to. I be, agree with that. You know, I agree with that. Um, this has been a good conversation, Jonah. Always is, Avi. Thank it's you. For always always time. fun. No, this is this this is dope. We'll do it again. We'll do it again in two weeks. Stay safe out there, everybody. This world is yeah. looking complicated and tricky again hopefully when we talk next time we will be out of this situation but if not i'll see you uh see you in world war three till then avi good talking good stuff jonah